What programmatic advertising does, it takes advertising to a completely different level and it breaks that human to human contact and it gets rid of those inefficiencies. And it allows us to use advertising technology and specifically these consoles to make it much more efficient. And that's essentially at the heart of what programmatic advertising is. It takes a transaction of dollars between the advertiser and the end consumer who's viewing these ads and seamlessly and meaningfully connected with technology. Welcome to the Craft Podcast slash Clubhouse show with Veronica and myself. We created this podcast to talk about craft. So we're going to be hearing a little bit about craft today from our guest, Nevin Vegas. Welcome, Nevin. Nevin is currently a leader in marketing technology sales at Amazon. Thanks, Veronica. It, actually, this sounds uh, really exciting and it's interesting work. On an average day, I do some very cool stuff. And on some not so average days, it's either really positive or really negative, depending on what I'm doing. But thanks for the invite today. And I'm really looking forward to having this conversation. So Nevin, what would you say is your craft? It could be one thing or it could be multiple things. <laughs> That's a tough question. So here's what I do. And I'll sort of break it up into two things. I do programmatic advertising and I do sales. Each of those can be a craft or a career by itself. I think uh, what I do is kind of unique because it combines both of these things. I come from a sales background and uh, I've been focused on doing sales in some way, shape or form in a client setting for the last 15 or 16 years, building true consultative approaches and relationships to solve a client's problems. And with that, deepening those relationships, I think that's step one. Now, step two is programmatic advertising. Programmatic advertising at its heart is really a very basic function. It's using technology to divert ad dollars and advertising to the end customer in some way that is meaningful. And it's using that technology instead of human intervention. And so you combine that together, you sort of have my craft, which is programmatic advertising and sales together. So a lot of follow-up questions for you on that, but, I, but before we dive deeper, I, I'm just wondering, how did you wind up in this business? Did you, were you a little kid wanting to grow up and be in programmatic advertising? How, how'd you find yourself here? That's a great question. And no, I did not grow up thinking I was going to be in advertising or be in Mad Men. <laughs> that was never the intention of, to be very frank, Mad Men was probably on 20 years after I graduated. So no, I actually grew up loving Star Trek and Star Wars, and I thought I wanted to be an engineer. Uh, I thought I wanted to go to space and build rocket ships. And part of me still kind of wants to, you know, play in SpaceX to some extent. But uh, no, I ended up going to university. I ended up graduating an engineering degree. And my four years there quickly realized that is literally the last thing I ever wanted to do. And so the first chance I got, uh, I went into consulting and specifically strategy consulting. And I ended up doing that for uh, give or take nine, nine, 10 years. Uh, I started off doing healthcare consulting, did a little bit of financial services consulting. And then I gave myself a little break and I did some investment banking. And by the way, investment banking is literally the only career in the world that makes strategy consulting seem easy. As soon as I left it, I thought, I never want to see that again. And I'm okay working 80 hours a week uh, doing strategy consulting because my life prior to that in banking was so much worse. But I started to feel unfulfilled. I took 
my consulting career in a slightly different path and something I was really passionate about. Uh, I focused on doing international development work and I worked with some large NGOs and foundations such as the Rockefeller Foundation, Gates Foundation and others. I did that for about four years, uh, got married, wanted to have a much more normal life than consulting was willing to provide. So I took a year off. Uh, I ended up volunteering at a charter school for a period of time. And then this company called AppNexus reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to do strategy work for them. And the first thing I literally told them was, I don't know what you do. I don't know what a programmatic advertiser is. And so uh, it was a really weird initial conversation. Uh, and for those of you in the space, I can literally tell you my first day there, I didn't know what an impression was. I didn't know what an IO was, and so, but I went into the interview. And as you can imagine, I didn't do so hot and I didn't get that job, but they called me back surprisingly. And I, I was surprised just as much as everybody else. And they said, look, you've led some diverse teams in the past. Why don't you lead our account partnerships team? And why don't you lead our enterprise account management team? And they trusted me to lead their business effort. And so I did that for a period of time. And that led me to leading the global relationship with Zaxis, which is a large holding company within WPP. And then frankly, had a sidetrack, but then Amazon called me and asked me, hey, uh, do you want to lead our services role? And I said, yeah, it sounds, why not? <laughs> I've been, Amazon is Amazon. It seems like a cool place to work. And so I came and I joined and it was an immense challenge, a phenomenal challenge and something I was really looking forward to. But I have to say at the end of it, it's, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I started and I led the services org. And now I lead part of our go-to-market sales work, where I'm responsible for leading a sales team that focuses on our full advertising stack. So, uh, you know, you probably were looking for a quick 30-second response. No. How did I get here today? And that's a very long story for something that could have been much shorter. No, we wanted every minute of that. Yeah, I think um, it's obviously interesting to hear people's career journeys because rarely is it linear or in one function. And I think just hearing people have their own twists and turns and explorations is good for part of our audience who are newer in their careers, who, who may think that everything has to be perfect. Yeah, so absolutely not true. <laughs> Veronica got to ask the fun question, but now, now it's my turn. So my question may be a little bit more dry, but I, I'm actually super curious. What is uh, programmatic advertising, high level? Advertising, if you think about it, historically has worked with someone like me, uh, having like $10,000 to spend and calling Jonathan, who owns some content and saying, Jonathan, here's, here's $10,000, run these ads for me, Frankly, that's exactly what would have happened. Jonathan would have taken my $10,000 and chosen to do that. Think about what, what you're doing here is it, it's a little bit inefficient, having to pick up the phone, having to make that physical IO, otherwise known as insertion order, to have that discussion is full of inefficiencies. What programmatic advertising does, it takes advertising to a completely different level and it breaks that human to human contact and it gets rid of those inefficiencies. It allows us to use advertising technology and specifically these consoles to make it much more efficient. And that's essentially at the heart of what programmatic advertising is. It takes a transaction of dollars between the advertiser and the end consumer who's viewing these ads and seamlessly and meaningfully connected with technology. That's not really what people were used to 10, 15 years ago, but that's where the entire industry is moving today. It's much more focused around leveraging technology to drive data and insights and to give you more information about your end consumer 
while limiting that inefficient human interaction. And I'm really happy to go into much more depth about this, but at the most basic level, that's what programmatic advertising is. Evan, you know, when you were talking a little bit about your career journey, it seemed like a little bit that you were on a quest for fulfillment yeah. or finding something that, a career that suits you if, if fulfillment is, is too lofty a goal. Was programmatic advertising that that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, or, or do you do you enjoy what what do you like or not like about what you're yeah, doing? It's uh, that's a little bit of a loaded question, I'll, and I'll, I'll sort of tee it up as to why. Right, people are going to view fulfillment in different ways. When I view fulfillment at this point in my career, it's very different than when I viewed it six years ago, where I viewed it ten years ago or fifteen years. Programmatic advertising is an interesting career, but the stuff that I do from the sales and coaching perspective, that is fulfilling. And so that's what's most interesting to me at this point in my life, right? I'm able to work with talented smart people. I'm able to coach talented to smart people to advance their career. I'm able to identify folks who I think are going to be the next leaders in our organization and help them build a skill set that will help them advance not just in advertising or in sales or in Amazon, but in the long term. And that's the fulfillment I get. I, the fulfillment I get is when I see a member of my team get promoted, the member of my team become a team lead. Or frankly, I'll be very honest, I've had members of my team lead programmatic advertising and go to Amazon Fashion or go to Amazon Retail or go to Kindle or go to Studios. Uh, recently, a, a member of my team went to Studios about a year, year and a half ago. That's fulfillment for me because you can help advance somebody's career, right? And I still keep in touch with everybody. And for me, that is currently what I find most fulfilling. That and the smart people I get to engage with. If you asked me this question six years ago, I would have said what I feel fulfilling is what I thought was my ability to impact the world around me and impact developing economies at scale. That's what I thought was going to be fulfilling for me. And it was back then. As I got older, priorities change, life comes into effect. Uh, and you have to sort of balance that out. And so that's where I was six years ago. You know, 15 years ago, I would have said just having a job coming out of a recession would have been fulfilling, <laughs> right? Yeah, so right. So being able to pay my student loans was fulfilling. So, you know, I basically fully recognize that my concept of fulfillment is going to be very different in five years. It's going to be very different in 10 years. And I assume that change. And I'm just going to let my career kind of flow with, with what that looks like in the future. Well, and I love what you're saying about coaching. I, you know, when you're, when you're coaching your mentees, it's not, are you, are you teaching them skill sets associated with advertising? I guess not if they're, or maybe yes, if they're going off into fashion, but what, what are you, what are you most trying to impart? Well, yes, you can teach them skill sets in advertising. You can teach them skill sets in programmatic advertising and what that specifically means. My mentors taught me something very early in my consulting career, which I try to impart on everybody else. And I keep using this word, Veronica, so call me out on it, right? And say, you use this too much. You need to, you need to explain this for <laughs> They, they truly taught me how to think consultatively. For me, what does that mean? And I am not an expert on it. I don't want to claim I'm anywhere near an expert in this. It's just a skill set that I've built that I think I'm okay at or, or proficient in in some ways, which is really getting down to the root cause of a client's issue. Uh, and so let me, let me explain what that means. The first thing I tell my team uh, whenever we get a new, new advertiser client that we work with Tell them, I don't want you pitching advertising, right? I, that is, that's where you're going to fail. If you're pitching in sales, you're probably going to fail, right? Because, and let's, let's break this down into two parts, right? 
pitching is important if you're cold calling or you're a brand new client. That's what you got to pitch. But when you're working with longstanding clients, pitching is, is not how you build long-term relationships. I tell my team to think about it this way. How does that client serve its customers? How does it make money? Not from advertising, not from digital. Just tell me how they make money. Read their 10K, read their annual report, figure out how they make money. The next thing is figure out how are they doing their marketing, not digital marketing, but general marketing. How do they sell their product? Then I say, then talk to me about what are they doing in digital marketing? And then talk to me what they're doing around programmatic advertising. It's that funnel. You got to get to that funnel. You truly understand someone's You need to, and I'll, I'll say this, what Amazon does really well is it works back. It solves for the root cause problem. It forces people to answer questions. And that's what I try to impart on my team. Ask so many questions that, you're, that you are listening nine times out of 10. So you truly understand the client. And then you could potentially come up with a solution. And you could, you, what I tell my team is you could come up with a solution, but it gotta, it's got to be tailored to what a client needs, not what you're trying to sell. And if you can't meet what they're trying to sell, do not pitch it and be willing to say no. Because you'll get you'll get more um, trust with a client if you're willing to tell them actually that we aren't the right team to do it. You need to work with person X Y Z. And for me, that's actually generated more long-term relationships at sales than just going and pitching over and over. Right. They'll appreciate your advice, and when they do have a project that's directly suited to you and what you do and your team, they think of you. They want to work with you. Exactly. My mentor story from consulting that I actually could remember is actually, uh, I, I, you know, we had to wear suits all day, right? And I remember, what's that? What's the name of that bag? Is this travel oh, bag for suits? A garment bag? Garment like bag, a, yes, yes. Like, yeah. It's a garment bag. It's a garment bag. And because I, I was a new consultant, so what I used to do is, I, I don't know, it's kind of dumb. I paid so much money for this, like, fancy garment <laughs> bag. And then the partners all, like, laughed at me. They're like, John, the only piece of advice I could give you is, you know, when you're consulting, you're always like traveling and you can expense stuff, but still you, you might like just buy things or eat a lot or drink a lot. Right. It's like, just, just save your money because, you know, especially living in New York and you're young, you just, it's easy to use money in, in like a consulting job. So that was a piece of advice I, I remember, but switching back to your fulfillment thoughts, I had a follow-up, which is one way to stay fulfilled uh, at least for me, is that, you know, I, I believe I happen to work in a very dynamic industry, which is gaming. And also gaming, yeah. you know, most of our customers are younger. And I just, I'm really, uh, I learn a lot from young people, actually. So back to the dynamism. Um, and I'm a newbie to this space, but I literally just joined Facebook. And then I hear about this iOS 14.5, you know, and there's, yeah. uh, you know, pe- people are talking about it. So it seems like there's a change in, in the, 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 in this dynamic industry. Can you talk a little bit about 14.5 iOS 14.5? Uh, you mean people at Facebook are talking about how much they hate, hate Apple. I mean, literally <laughs> that's just been what they've been fighting about in the press for the last year, Jonathan. I'm surprised you just caught on. <laughs> like literally, I'm, I'm pretty sure whoever, anybody working at Facebook is not going to get a job at Apple. Anybody working at Apple is not going to get a job at Facebook anytime soon with the amount of vitriol these two companies have been throwing at each other. The reality is this industry is going through some massive changes. And frankly, it's probably the biggest change it's faced since it started. And that's happening right now. And it's critical to understand why this is happening. It's all tied to the concept of data privacy and what control and ownership customers and individuals have over their own data. 
the business model of programmatic advertising has skewed, very frankly, in the last couple of years to hoovering and hoovering much more data around each individual interaction. What we're able to do in programmatic advertising, which we, which we never do, is actually target individuals. So we'll never target Veronica specifically or Jonathan specifically, but we'll get enough data to put together what Veronica is doing on all, a lot of different websites and put her into a group and target that group. So suddenly we'll know that Veronica, I'm making this up, likes you know tea and you know is a 20-something living in New York and buys. I'm making that up, Veronica. No, no, no. I, I was like, oh yeah, I can't wait to see what you say. I'm like, no, so, you're safe. You're but, safe. So it's like we're able to put these profiles together. Uh, what's happened in the industry, both is something called GDPR, and I forgot what the initial GDPR or in the EU, which is around, <laughs> around people controlling their own privacy and data, as well as what happened in California with something called CCPA. Don't call me out on what the initials are either. <laughs> I don't really know either. Um, it's all focused on controlling data, controlling privacy, and reporting that you are only taking into account data and privacy that you currently have engagement with. So why is this change in iOS 14.5 such a big deal? And why has Facebook been fighting it so much? So iOS 14.5 basically says is, if you have an app on our device, Clubhouse, Snap, Facebook, you can use your own data to advertise to people, right? Utilizing the data you currently have. And that's all good. What you're not going to be able to do is utilize that data for that we have on any other app or on the web on an iOS device. Why is this an issue on, for Facebook? Because Facebook uses a ton of data that they gather through their own own and operated properties, but also offsite something with the Facebook audience network, uh, use, that, use that information to advertise and retarget people on their own networks, but also outside of it. So which is why Facebook has been fighting it so much, because it limits the ability of Facebook to target ads to individuals, to target ads towards consumers, because their core business is advertising. I don't think Facebook and Apple are gonna come to a recognition or a solution anytime soon. I'm willing to bet Facebook has come up with multiple, and Duff has probably been there a month now, but he's probably not going to give away any secrets about what Facebook is doing. Facebook has probably come up with multiple workarounds that allow them to utilize their user data, both in their owned and operated inventory. Owned and operated means Facebook.com, Instagram, et cetera. And also figure out how to extend that outside of it in a way that does not break Apple's policy. Because if you think about it, what's the worst thing that could ever happen to Facebook? They get booted off the app store and they suddenly lose 50% of their US customers, which would immediately tank their stock or whatever it is to, you know, some fraction of that. So does that answer your question, Jonathan? Well, or we I, don't, uh... Yeah, it does. So now 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 you got my attention because frankly, you know, I'm all about gaming. I'm even paying attention to this stuff. But now you're telling me, you know, potentially my stock could be half as valuable. Well, I gotta go Google some 14.5 deep dives tonight. Well, uh, um, well the, the good thing is I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, Mark and Cheryl have come up with solutions that as far as I've seen, your stock has not gotten hit since it's been released. You're pretty good. I'll, uh, I'll rest assured tonight and then focus back on gaming. Um, I actually had a random question to put you on the spot oh, no. <clears throat> a bit about privacy, which is uh, my, my friend and I, we've had this idea and it sounds good on paper, okay. but I feel like you might be the, you may have some perspectives here on terms of 
in terms of practicality and or feasibility. Do you want to sign an NDA? No, no, no. This idea, I'm sure you kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier too. It's about, it's about getting data into the hands of the users. So our idea is, mm -hmm. you know, what if we had this like app website platform where we somehow convince a large swath of the population to enter their own PII or, or their own demographic information. And then once we hit like a critical mass, then we can get uh, like the Googles and the Facebooks of the world to, to buy yeah. our data. And then we pay, we pay the user. Ha have people talked about this in the industry? Uh, yeah. Sorry, Jonathan, I hate to do this to you. Yeah, it's been discussed a lot. It's been done a lot. It's, it's not gonna, it's, this was a great idea. I think about seven, eight years ago, man. Uh, I'm glad we talked because we were, oof. Hey, we're not gonna do this idea. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I mean, the concept was so great that so many people have been thinking about it for so long. Well, the concept what you have here, Jonathan, is actually a, an idea that's been thrown out quite a bit, which is, can we convince folks to voluntarily give up their their information for some cut of the outcome of the marketing dollar, right? Whether you pay them up front or you pay them on the back end, some cut of that marketing dollar. That is that is, has been thought of in the past. There are two parts where this gets broken, and which is why it's not going to work. One 14.5 is going to be an issue. iOS 14.5 is going to be an issue because Facebook would not be able to use the data you sold them because it's not data they own and operated. They don't own that data. But unless they specifically bought your app, they wouldn't be able to utilize that data. But even that, even beyond that, I'm going to tell you why that's not going to work in the future. Because all your data is going to be based on the fact that we recognize currently people via cookies. And our good friends in Google will eventually destroy the industry when they come up with their own solution for this and get rid of cookies sometime in 2022. And so that's when contextual targeting, contextual means targeting websites where people go to instead of the individual user will come into play. Now, there are other solutions that people are coming up in the industry. Um, with folk, There's a company called, I don't know if you all know this, called the Trade Desk, et cetera, that are trying to create new ways of identifying the user that don't rely on cookies, that are privacy safe, et cetera. Uh, these new techniques have not gotten mass scale yet. And there is risk to it. And I'll, I'll tell you why. Because data is so important and the lack of data, is, personalized data from first party inventory is so important. It's hard for somebody uh, like the trade desk that does not own data to be successful in, in this play. I'll explain why. Specifically here is if you don't own your own data, like at Facebook, a Google, and Amazon, et cetera, what you're stuck with is trying to buy data from other individuals, which you will be prevented from running. So uh, this is going to impact a company like the Trade Desk or any other third-party individual uh, company specifically because uh, just this past week, Trade Desk exceeded its revenues, exceeded its expectations, higher earnings per share than anybody in uh, any investor expected, right? They blew out their entire earnings report and their stock still dropped 20% because they have no solution for privacy and data at scale and uh, identifying who that end user is. So that's the issue everybody faces. So go for it, Jonathan. I'm just not sure you're going to be successful, man. No, this, uh, <clears throat> this podcast, pay for itself because I'm going to have to, you know, rewind the tape and listen to this again because uh, you, just, you potentially could have saved me just a couple months of just... Well, I may have learned a lot, but, you know, <clears throat> it, it, it would have been, uh, at least I know this going in. Um, so this is cool. good. 
And Nevin, I know you started out by saying there's sort of two prongs of your craft. There's the programmatic advertising prong and there is the sales prong. And you were talking to us a little bit about sales before. I really want to hear you say consultatively again. <laughs> um, I do. I mean that. Uh, and, and I was wondering if we could talk a little bit more about the, the sales aspect of your role and what are some of the qualities you, you really think you need to succeed in consultative sales? and otherwise behaving consultatively. You get a prize every time if you can say it. I'm gonna try to do this without saying it. Um, I kind of hit on a couple of key points here. Um, So let's talk about sales and the thing that makes enterprise sales sellers successful. Not using that word, but people who truly understand, I talked about this earlier, understanding the clients. I'm not gonna belabor that point, but understanding how they make money and getting to the root cause. That is the number one thing someone's gonna be successful at. So, So someone who is a good salesperson is actually not going to be, and Austin said it, uh, an enterprise sales, not going to be a belly-to-belly person. He's not going to be someone who's going to take you out to uh, dinner and three martinis uh, at, a, at a local steakhouse, right? And you could do that, right? But that's not how, like, you will win in the short term. You're not going to win in the long term. What you need is the ability to, to really understand clients, understand their problems and solve for that. But you also have to be, and this is a critical mm-hmm. thing, and Austin will probably agree with this, be resilient. Because there's a lot of no, but uh, the no comes from a point of being able to step back up again and going again. So I don't need people, when I look for people to hire, I don't look for people who are just cold callers because I think they have the resiliency skill set, but they don't have the ability to go deep. I look for people who, one, are able to understand the root cause, who are resilient. And this is one of the things that we focus on on Amazon. Understand technology and can sell based on the technology, which means going deep into a product, understanding what the product's flaws are, what their strengths are, and can make a value case against both the strengths and mitigate the flaws in comparison to um, competitors. So the ability to talk tech and make it simple, right? What I don't need is someone who could talk tech and confuse the crap out of somebody. That's not how we're ever going to win a single dollar. But I need someone who can talk tech and make a, a hard concept simple so everybody can understand it. So those are the three qualities I look for in a good enterprise tech seller. Well, and when you talk about someone, something that you look for in a hire, you know, when John and I first started talking to people about craft, it was both to learn more about what people really do day to day and to talk about some of the hot topics in different industries but it's also maybe to encourage people who might be looking to break into a certain industry inside of entertainment yeah. media and technology. And, you know, is there any, is there any advice that you would give to someone who's trying to break into this area? There are certain jobs where you just kind of have to get the job, <laughs> but is there anything you can do independently or set yourself up well to get that game? Yeah, I think there's a couple off the top of my head. I think there's probably two or three things. One, there are a lot of roles, both at the entry and mid-level point that you can come into this industry. From an entry-level role, for example, starting as a generalist in advertising is a great way to then build a specialty, right? So we have a, a lot of our best sellers are folks who came in as generalists. They joined at selling the vast swath of Amazon's product. They didn't need to know programmatic. What they learned is they sold TV, they sold, they sold some programmatic ads, they sold connected TV, didn't need to know the tech behind it. But frankly, I'm sure a lot of you have seen this. 
they also sold the advertisements that come on those Amazon boxes. You've probably seen like a movie review or a movie title on an Amazon box. Yep. They sell that too. They get there and then they go deep in a subject. That's one way of doing it, right? And that's that's where a lot of our group talent is. People just want to bring in front and then move into the second way is the way I did it, which is you build a course skill set. So remember I talked mm-hmm. about the two crafts? The one craft I didn't have six years ago was programmatic advertising. But what I did have <laughs> was the co- sales and, and consulting. And double down on mm-hmm. the craft. Yeah. And once you double down on the craft, you can then take that craft elsewhere, right? So I doubled down on consulting, sales, and strategy, which then enabled me to break into programmatic advertising sales. And so if you build a good enough base of skill sets, you can learn programmatic advertising. Like I said, we try to make it harder than it is. It's simply just wires connected together in a box, making it simple. But that's like, you can, you can learn it. You have to invest the time to learn it. But if you have another craft that's deemed valuable, you can bring that into the job that you want. So you're sort of saying it between the lines, but at this point, do you consider yourself a generalist or a specialist? I think I'm a specialist to the extent that it's in programmatic advertising, but I think my strategy and my consulting skill sets will allow me to do a lot of different things, which is why I think I've been able to do healthcare and financial services and nonprofit and now advertising, because that course of skill set, I'm not saying I could do Jonathan's job. Jonathan's much better at video games and e-game sports than I am. And Veronica, Veronica, you understand TV and kids shows better than I ever would, right? But I think if given the opportunity, I could figure out parts of my consulting and sales skill sets and figure out how I could leverage that into something in, like entertainment and carve out a niche there and build build from there. So I'm a generalist at that extent, but I'm a specialist from the programmatic advertising perspective. Well, and part of the reason to ask this question in the first place is for what it means in your career development, right? Where might you go next? If you're a generalist, do you worry that you won't be qualified for certain roles? Or if you're a specialist, yeah. do you feel like you're pigeonholed into certain roles? And it, But it sounds like with your past, yeah. you know, you there are many places let's you put it this go. Way, right? Being technologically savvy, let's say you're really good at programmatic advertising, right? The reality is so much of programmatic advertising is now going to be connected to data streams, cloud and cloud infrastructure. So what does that mean? You don't have to just do programmatic advertising. You can leverage that to go somewhere else. You can leverage that to do uh, go to Azure or do Google Cloud or AWS. And you could keep migrating because learning how to talk tech and sell tech is important. Technology is one of those things, Veronica, where it's not constant and you consistently need to learn. And so if, you, if there's a core skill set everybody should have, it's learning fast, right? Because that'll allow you to switch from topic to topic, career to career. Yeah. And that's that, that, I would argue, is the number one thing that will help anybody break into an industry like programmatic advertising. Because, you know, you could get a job here, but will you be successful if you don't learn fast? Probably not. But even when you're in here, it changes so, it's changed so much in the six years that I've done it, from where it was six years ago to today, that I've had to learn to keep up. But I'm pretty sure I could learn if I decided to go into AWS and learn about cloud infrastructure. Because learning is probably the most important part of being able to sell yourself and being successful in a new industry. If we were in a coffee shop right now or poetry reading, I feel like it's that moment to just snap, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I Yeah, learning fast resonates. 
So I, I know some things, like for example, we have another guest coming on in a couple of weeks, Steven. He's the head of growth marketing for yeah. um, Amazon Games. And, and he really got me into like return on ad spend. So that's something I, I, I know about. They're also like just easy concepts, but I want to know the exact details, if there even is an exact detail. Yeah. For example, um, you know, we talk a lot about impressions, right? Is it true that different companies and platforms yeah. measure impressions differently? For example, video impression, is it like X seconds on Facebook versus YouTube? And the second thing is, yeah. um, I've heard about like, you know, CPM, right? Cost per thousand impressions. What is a display impression? Is it just because it like, I, I searched on Google, it's on my screen, then it counts. There's no like time component to a display ad. All right, let's, let's, let's separate that into a couple of different parts. Let's separate that. Let's break that down from the, uh, the end and work our way all the way to the beginning. So an impression is this, an impression is just an ad whenever you see it, right? So for example, if I go to CNN right now and I see an ad, that's one impression, right? If I turn on uh, Roku and I see an ad, that is one impression, right? And so uh, an impression is just a different way of saying a user is seeing an ad. You're right. There is no time concept for a display impression, right? It doesn't matter if I see an ad for a split second or I see an ad for 30 minutes in the background. It doesn't matter. There's no time concept. What there is on display ads is viewability. So for example, is the, hat, is the ad on display 100% viewable? As in, if I go on CNN, do I get that banner in the, on the top that allows that is front and center, right? If I'm on the New York Times, do I see that Apple ad front and center on the top? I think actually today it's Hamilton. I think Hamilton took over the, the top of it. The, saying they're back in Broadway, yeah. on Broadway in September. But viewability is also important. If I show you an impression, if I just serve an impression and add on the webpage, but it's at the bottom of the page and you never scroll all the way down, that's 0% viewability, right? So for display ads, viewability is a very important measure, especially around branding, from making sure that your ads, what people care about is their ads are being seen. You don't want to spend ad, money on ads that are not being seen. So if I spend a ten thousand dollars, but I have viewability of five or ten percent, I'm kind of wasting ninety percent of my dollars. I'm wasting wasting nine thousand dollars. That's essentially the simplistic way of saying saying it. I'll get into performance later because you you brought up ROAS all the way at the end, right? Second question: How do people me measure impressions? That's a little bit more complicated uh, because. You would think there would be a standard way of reporting across the entire industry. But because this is so complex, there is a standard of error around impression reporting. And let's say we call it conversion reporting, whether someone actually does an action based on that, that ad, right? And that can be different based on the technology used. For example, the number of impressions and reporting that Amazon might show for an ad that Google is also tracking may be slightly different. But that's okay. We expect that uh, as long as the difference is within a threshold. And for different clients and different customers and different agencies, that threshold is usually between one and 3%, right? Some are okay with up to five. If you're a 10% differential, that's a big issue. That's an that's a issue with the technology model. Now, your third question, which is uh, tracking metrics and how do people track metrics? 
Um, yes, there are different metrics people track. There's return on ad spend, there's cost per action, cost per conversion. All of these basically mean, Jonathan, this is a very simplistic, very complex way of saying something very simple. If I show you an ad, and do you do something with that ad? If I show you a pair of Nike sneakers right now on, um, on the New York Times, do you click and go buy those sneakers in Nike? Or do you come back two months later and go buy that, those sneakers in Nike? We, the current technology allows us to track that. It allows us to see which ad we showed Jonathan and did he convert later on, right? And that's what ROAS stands for, return on ad spend, cost per conversion, cost per acquisition. The last thing you, you threw up there is CPM, which is cost per million. Basically, it's uh, cost per 1,000 impressions. So I took your question and sort of broke it down to three or four parts, Jonathan, but that's essentially what you were trying to get at with there. I'm happy to answer any further questions you have in those topic areas. Thank you, Nevin, for joining the show today. Super appreciate it. And uh, I, I learned a lot. And I, I, I might be hitting you up later, actually. Thank you.